Our reading this morning is in Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 42. If you're using the Bibles and the seats provided, it's page 851. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into into temptation. And the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Thank you, Wendy. Let me encourage you to keep your copy of God's Word open to that text there in Mark 14. Uh, Typically, we take a text here and we just walk through it like that. We're going to be a little different today. We're... um, Having our sermon series at the beginning of this year on prayer, uh, the emphasis on prayer, we want to be a praying church. And so we're going we're gonna to start here as we just did, uh, but a lot of the message is going to be kind of in different parts and bringing out different biblical principles and, and passages about prayer, but then we'll end here in Mark 14. So keep your Bibles uh, handy and, and there uh, and open to Mark uh, 14 there. So the tension of today is, is that when we talk about prayer, the question is, is um, does it really matter if we pray? I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, if we have a God who is sovereign, a God who is in control, and a God who is all wise, does it matter if we pray? What if we've been praying for something for years and years, and we still haven't receive the answer we've been looking for. Do we continue to pray about that? It doesn't make a difference if we keep praying. So I think it's probably going to be of no surprise that I am going to argue that yes, prayer does make a difference and it does matter. But how so? And what does the Bible have to say about that? So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to start with that tension. I'm going to ask God's uh, blessing, and then we'll dive in. Father, I just want to pray, pause now and pray that uh, what I communicate in the next few minutes here would be helpful. We've all had uh, situations in our lives where we have prayed for something, and it just hasn't happened. And it's been something we thought was good, and it hasn't happened. And then I think most of us have wondered at some point or time, does it doesn't matter if we pray or not? And so I pray that as we look at this, this subject this morning, that you would guide me and that um, the words that I say would be led by your Spirit 
and uh, it would be helpful for all who have gathered here. And I pray that it would be accurate to what your scriptures say. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So the question is, does it really matter if we pray? Okay, okay, I've already told you, yes, I think it does. Let me give you three reasons why. Because, first of all, prayer matters because of what prayer is. Have you ever stopped to consider, it's like, okay, what exactly is prayer? What is it? If you look at definitions, you'll get different uh, ideas about what it may be. Sometimes people refer to as more of the, the, the mental awareness or the spiritual component of it. And, and I'm not saying any of those are bad or something, but when we try to strip it down to understand what exactly is prayer? I think it's helpful to us and say, yes, then it does matter here. Um, how do some people view prayer? Well, some people view prayer as more like a suggestion box, you know? I mean, there's, there's really no obligation to answer. It, you know, the corporate business puts it out there, says, hey, we want to hear from you. We kind of really suspect whether they really want to hear or not, but it's, it's kind of the, the thing to do. And so you put your suggestion in. It's not very personal. Sometimes people view prayer that way. That it's like more of a suggestion box. Like, God, here's what I like. I know you're above no obligation to listen. I know that we don't really have this great of terms of relationship here. We're kind of distant. And I'm not even sure you're going to read this. I'm not even sure you're going to hear this anyway, but I'm just going to put it in here just in case. Sometimes people view prayer as more of like a a suggestion box. Another one maybe is like writing to an elected official, okay? Um, Just out of curiosity, how many of you have ever written to an elected official? We're going to see you raise your hand, okay? Okay, I have. Okay, okay, several of you have. Okay. Now, when you write there to an elected official, you're hoping that they read it. You're hoping that a staffer reads it and then passes it along. But at the same time, you know that the chances of it are fairly low at times. But you're, you know that they're supposed to listen to you, but you kind of wonder if they actually do. And you know that they're supposed to have a relationship with you in terms of representing you, but you kind of wonder if they actually do. Sometimes prayer is that way. It's like we know that God is supposed, uh, supposed to have a relationship with us, but we kind of wonder if he really does. Or we know that he is supposed to to listen to us, but we kind of wonder if that actually happens here, writing to an elected official. And sometimes there's those rare stories where the elected official does listen and does get that email or does get that letter in the mail and makes a, a decision and says, you know, I'm so grateful for, you know, so-and-so who wrote me about this and really influenced this. And we hear those stories like, wow, that's just enough to kind of keep us going. Prayer is that sometimes people say, you know, God answered this prayer. It's like, oh, I guess it does happen sometimes. Is that what prayer is about? Is it more of like writing to an elected official? Or is it, some people think in terms of maybe it's a a contract with negotiable terms, okay? I did this, now you do that. And we have this agreement here. Uh, I I lived this certain way, and now you need to do this, okay? I did not do this, and now you need to do that. Um, I, I studied for this test, so I should get an A, Okay, right? Some of you students here, maybe you're, you're there. I studied for it. I should get an A, God. This is, this is how this works, okay? Uh, it's a contract with, with negotiable terms, so if the terms do change, then both parties need to be agreement. Say, God, you had said that this would happen, but things are changing here. Why are, why are the terms changing here? Uh, other people, you've heard people talk about prayer this way. It's more of like a, a genie in the bottle, okay? It's like you rub the lamp and, uh, you know, you get your three wishes and the genie has to do exactly what you say. So the, it's you do what I want now, okay? You know, here's my three wishes. Uh, God, I haven't asked for much in, in many years. And so now's the time. I'm rubbing the lamp and I really need you to do this. I really need you to heal my loved one. I really need you to give me this job. I really need you to do whatever it is. 
So you do what I want. This is one of my wishes. But we've got to be careful with this because, you know, as Disney's Aladdin taught us, is that you have to be very specific with what you say because if you wish for a prince, you know, you could just you wish to be a prince, you could just get a prince. You know what I'm saying? So you've got to be really careful. If you haven't seen the movie Aladdin, that just kind of goes over your head. But it's funny. Just, this is where insert laughter here type thing. Okay? All right. So... You know, you got to be really, really careful about that, okay? You know, so that maybe people view prayer that way as more of that. Or, <clears throat> excuse me, I think most people, a lot of people, it's like a 911 call. It's like, you know, in case of emergency, this is when, this is when we pray. When, when all else fails, we've tried everything else, and, and, and we've tried to be responsible, we've tried to do this, but now it's the 911 call. We need someone to show up now and help. But here's the thing behind it. Make sure it's a real emergency, Okay, all right. Um, you know, uh, Tom, I'm sure could tell us stories of people calling 911, and it wasn't a true emergency. I've heard stories. I don't know if it's happened here, but I've heard stories of you know people calling 911 because you know McDonald's was out of their ice cream machine was broken or something like this. You know, it's like make sure it's a real emergency. That's what prayers make sure it's a really big deal because God's busy and we want to make sure that this is a true emergency and only in case of emergency when all else fails. Again, that's not an exhaustive list. I was just in my office trying to think of how people may possibly think of prayer. You could probably come up with other illustrations and other examples of that. But the point is, is that I think we all would agree, I hope, we all would agree by looking at those five on the screen right now that that is not what prayer is. Okay, prayer is not any of those things. But sometimes we slip into treating prayer as if it is one of those five things. So what is prayer then? What is actual prayer? The best definition I can come up with and think of is this. It's a conversation with a loving father. That's what prayer is. You know, if we are believers in Christ, then when we pray, we're having a conversation with a loving Father. You know, Mark 14 here, this illustration, Jesus is showing us that. And when He's praying, He is praying to a loving Father here. That's what He's doing. A compassionate Father. And you think, okay, well, that's for Jesus. He was God's Son. I'm different. Well, true. True, you and I are different than Jesus, okay? It's true. But remember when Jesus was instructing us to pray in that famous Lord's Prayer, which we may look at in a week or two, that Lord's Prayer. Remember that? What did he say? He says, when you pray, here's how you pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He says, you pray, our Father. You see, and remember what, what John wrote, the Apostle John, he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God, and so we are. We looked at that on Christmas Day, this adoption that we have in Christ Jesus. So prayer is a conversation with the loving Father. And Jesus, he, he gives this verse in Luke chapter uh, 11. He says this, I tell you, just as Jesus speaking, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of Him? He, he, Jesus is using this illustration of, of, of a father. He says, you're, you, you, you're a sinful man, you know that if your son asks for, you know, what does he say, a fish, you know, he's not going to give him a deadly snake. He says, or if he asks for an egg, he's not going to give him a, you know, a scorpion. Although with the prices of eggs right now, maybe that would be a better thing to do. I don't know. But the point is, is that he says, you know not to do that. You know that as a, as a, even as a sinful man that you are going to care for your child. How much more so will your heavenly Father treat you when you ask of him? And so when we look at this, what is prayer? Prayer is this idea of a conversation with a loving father. And, I, and, and my prayer is, is that, that as a church, if we, if, we, if we center on that, if we understand that, okay, yes, this is what prayer is, is it, that is, it, it takes the, the duty part out of prayer a little bit. Like, ah, yes, we should pray. Or, or oh, no, we, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, we have to pray now. Uh, no, we, we should be motivated to prayer because this is a conversation with a loving father. That's what it is, okay? Uh, Tim Keller, he wrote this. He said this in his book on prayer. Uh, he says, prayer is continuing a conversation that God has started through His Word and His grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with Him. The power of our prayers, then, lies not primarily in our effort and striving or in any technique, but rather in our knowledge of God. He says, how do we view God? And I think Elder's right here is, is this is this is what we're getting at here is that we see this on display here, not only in Mark 14, we see it in John 17 in Jesus' high priestly prayer. John 17 is a is a beautiful prayer to look at where Jesus is praying to the Father uh, right before his crucifixion. And he's having this wonderful conversation with his loving father. We see this in the in the, as I told you about the Lord's Prayer. So all these type of things that we see, we get to center on the fact that you're when you have the opportunity to pray. What you're doing, this is not a 911 call. This is not a suggestion box. This is not something that we need to go to and say, okay, I don't know if you're going to hear me or not, but I, I, I want you, you know, I, I just hope you'll listen for a minute here. You know, this is a conversation with a loving Father. Now, we're going to talk in a minute about some hindrances to prayer, but for right now, just understand in the general scheme of things of how God intends prayer to be, is that He intends it to be a conversation with a loving Father father here. So here's my, my prayer. I want all of us to approach God as the loving father that he is. Please do that. Please approach God as the loving father as he is. But you know, for some, I know that's more difficult than others. I, I recognize that perhaps your earthly father was distant or maybe even abusive. And so it's hard to think of God in terms of a loving Father because you don't know what that's like. I, I understand that, okay? I, I know that that's a reality for some people. But here's, here's why I, 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 I just hope to, to impress upon you. Understand that, you, that we, when we think of a father that way, when we think of someone who, a father who is distant or abusive, we are ambivalent towards or we, we recoil from such fathers because we instinctually know that that's not how fathers ought to treat their children. 
Okay, and so if we know that, and that's the reason why we recoil or we're a little hesitant about that, because we know that earthly fathers, you should treat your kids better than that. Then instead of letting those instincts you push you away from God, they should cause you to embrace God rather than ignore Him, doubt Him, or live in suspicion of Him. Because let, let what you did not, maybe for some of you, did not experience with an earthly father, instead of letting that push you away from the Father, let that draw, let that draw you to Him that He is the perfect Father. He is the one who is all-loving. He is the one that you didn't have on this earth. But the, but the problem is a lot of times when we didn't experience anything similar to that, we say, well, God can't be like that. And we, we, we recoil or we're suspicious or we doubt. But that instincts that we have about what a father truly should be like is because God has pressed, impressed upon our hearts what people should be like, what fathers should be like. So let that push you towards God instead. So it depends. Does prayer matter to God? Yes, because of what it is. It's a conversation with a loving Father. But there's a second reason why prayer matters, and here it is longer. Prayer matters because there are many possible reasons for unanswered prayer other than prayer doesn't work. You see, a lot of times people say, well, prayer doesn't matter because it doesn't work. I prayed about X, and I didn't get it. I asked for Y, and I didn't get it. Um, We as a family petitioned God for Z, and it didn't happen. Whatever it is, and some people are just, you're walking through years, and maybe it's some painful things, things that just seem perfect and seem that would have been right. Maybe it was the health of your, your own health or health of a loved one. Maybe it was a financial situation. Maybe it was a relationship that just broke apart. Maybe it's a relationship that is still broken. Maybe it's your desiring for people to come to Christ. And it hasn't happened yet. I mean, these are all good things. But instead of just saying a prayer must not work, we need to understand that maybe there's some other reasons that are at play here. I'm going to give you some. And again, I just want you to wrestle with this. I want you to think through this. I'm not insinuating that just because your prayer has been answered, it is definitely one of these. I don't know. I think it will be at least one, but uh, the last one that we'll get to, but we'll get there in a minute here. Here's one reason why we may have had an unanswered prayer, is that the request may conflict with another prayer that is being answered. Have you ever think about this? Have you ever thought about, you know, two people praying about the weather on the same day? One person praying for rain, the other one praying for sunshine. Hey, have you ever thought about that? I, mean, I have. I, I've, I, I've been thinking, it's like, you know, Lord, it'd be great if it didn't rain today. It'd be just great, you know, because whatever plan that we have, right? And then I think of, you know, I wonder how many farmers are praying right now for rain. You know, who, who gets the answer? Who gets the nod? You know, because, you know, is it, is it only that, that, you know, God, He could, He could make it rain everywhere except for in one spot where the event is? God could do that. Typically, He doesn't do that. Typically, God works through ordinary means of the laws of nature. God works through that to accomplish His purposes. Doesn't mean He's bound by that, though, as we see plenty of stories in the Bible about God who is parting Red Sea, walking on water, things like this. But those are called miracles for a reason, okay? Those are atypical. Those are things that we shouldn't just expect God to do, even though we know that He could do them, right? And so when we ask God to do things, it's like, listen, you know, 
if we're praying for rain or not praying for rain, someone may be praying the opposite, and God's choosing the answer to that request rather than your request, okay? Ten people asking for the same job position or promotion. Two kids wanting to go to different restaurants, okay? All right? Now, which one does the father answer in that case? Well, it's the one who ever has the coupon or the gift card, of course, right? Okay? All right? But the point is, is that you have two kids that say, no, I want to go here. I want to go here. You have ten people. I want this job. You know, God has to answer it for somebody, and it, there's times where we're not the one. And that doesn't mean that prayer doesn't work. It doesn't mean that God loves one less than the other. It just means that in His Word, in His will, rather, He's accomplishing His purposes by that way. So that might be one. Here, here's another reason why a possible unanswered prayer. It just may not be the right time. Um, perhaps other events need to happen first. Uh, perhaps we're not as ready as we think we are. Okay? Remember, um, uh, in our sermon series, in our Advent series, I think it was the Christmas Day sermon, maybe it was before, I can't remember, but we talked about Galatians chapter 4. Maybe it was Christmas Eve. It was Christmas Eve. So, Galatians chapter 4, we said, uh, where it says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son born of a virgin. In the fullness of time, when the time was absolutely perfect, we talked about on Christmas Eve. You see, it just may not be the right time. It may be something that we want to happen, but it's just not the right time. You think of the Exodus. How many years did people pray for deliverance from Egypt? And it was the right time until it was the right time. We think of the coming of the Messiah. They wanted the Messiah to come for years and years and years, and it just wasn't the right time until it was the right time. We're praying for Jesus to come back right now. We're praying for Him to return in, in glory and to set all things right. And wouldn't it be great if it were today? But it's not the right time as of the second, okay? All right? We don't know when it is, but it's just not the right time. Now, we don't know why, but it's just not. So that might be a possible reason that it's just not the right time. We're still waiting, but we know that God's timing is perfect. There's another reason uh, is that if God answered every request, who would really be in charge? Think about that. I'm indebted to Yancey for this. Philip Yancey wrote a book on prayer, and he brought up this point. He says, by answering every possible prayer, God would be in effect, would in effect abdicate, turning the world over us to run. He goes on to say in his chapter on this where he talks about how that he would have used prayers like that genie in the bottle that I talked about earlier in a self-serving way of getting attention or imposing my will on other people. He says this, and I think he's right. He says, Christians would comprise a favored class who never got sick, never lost their jobs, never experienced a traffic accident. And he says, how many and how would that affect a Christian community, not to mention those outside of it? If we never had to endure any hardship, because let's be honest, I mean, how many of us are going to pray for difficulty? How many of us are going to say, you know, Lord, this is a great time for a cold. This is a great time. This is a good time. It is, it's good. I mean, just give me, you know, or, you know, God, I, I, I've, I've enjoyed a whole week of, of good sleep. This is a good time for me to have a sleepless night, okay? Would you please, I just need to know, I need to be reminded what it's like, or, you know, I've been walking for a long time. You know, my feet are kind of tired. It'd be a good time for a broken leg, okay? You know, we're, we're, no one's going to be praying those things because we don't want any difficulty in our life, okay? And so if God just answered every prayer as a yes, what type of society would that make us be? How, what type of influence would we have on the community outside of us? 
And then Yancey goes on to say this, and he talks about, he says that the biblical history of Israel was a favored people who had access to God's supernatural power. He says that kind of helps us here. He says this, golden era, such as the reign of Solomon, what did they do? They ended up fostering pride and decadence, while times of national humiliation were about spiritual growth. You see, if God just said yes to everything that we do, everything we do, it would actually be chaos. It would actually be chaos. And there's, there's, there's a movie about this. Some of you know which one I'm talking about. It's not a good movie, but it's under the premise of someone who gets God's power, and he's answering every request all at once. And the chaos is ensuing. It's not a good movie, so I'm not promoting it, but I'm just telling you that even if people who think about this, even Hollywood, when they think about the logical conclusion of realize, wait a minute here, it would be absolute chaos if God said yes to everything. So, who's really in charge here? The reason why sometimes we get told no is because God has to work out His plan and not us. And that we wouldn't want the difficulty things in life that would make us the better witness for our community, make us a better Christian uh, nation or Christian group as we are as a church. So understand that unanswered prayer sometimes puts us in a better position for spiritual growth. Okay? Uh, let's see, I have two more. Um, and there may be sins to confess first. I mean, this is a, is a legitimate possibility about why prayers may not be answered. Psalm sixty six eighteen says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have heard me. Uh, James 4 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask it wrongly to consume it upon your own lust. Um, we see First Peter, First Peter chapter 3 there. Uh, Paul, or excuse me, Peter's writing there, and he says that likewise, husbands live with their wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel since they are heirs with you uh, of the grace of life. And he says this, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, maybe your prayers are hindered because you're not treating your wife the way you should be. That's what First Peter 3 is saying. You see, there's reasons sometimes where God says no to get our attention. Now, the reason God is not like holding a carrot on a stick in front of us, okay, and saying, okay, do this, that's not what He's doing. What He's doing is He is using any means necessary to get our attention. If, if, if we said, God, I want this, boom, God, I want this, boom, would we actually consider anything about our life? Most likely not. But when we're wrestling, saying, okay, what's going on here? Maybe God is trying to get our attention on something. And husbands, that last verse is very, very applicable to us. One other reason, and of course, this is, if none of these apply, this one does, <laughs> right? Mysterious reasons not yet known to us, but it's true. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that, may we, that we may do the words of this law. Basically, what he's saying there is in the second giving of the law that he's given to the, the next generation of, of, of Israelites after the wandering in the wilderness while they're getting ready to walk into the promised land, he says, listen, God's not revealed everything, okay? But what he has revealed is enough for us to obey okay? What He's revealed to us is enough for us to live a life the way that God intends us to live. But there's a lot of things that God just has not revealed to us yet. That's what He said. And that remains true today. Uh, Paul in Romans chapter 11 says the same thing. He says, oh, the riches of God. He says how His ways are inscrutable in Romans chapter 11. And so sometimes God answers prayer and sometimes God doesn't answer prayer. And we don't always know the reason why. I was thinking back uh, uh, in, in my life, um, about, I was about four years old. I, I asked my mom, I texted my mom yesterday, I said, how old was I when this happened? 
And she texted me back, and she said, you were about four. I was four years old um, where uh, I was born with blue eyes, and my mom had green eyes. And uh, green was my favorite color as a kid. And um, I, I, I remember asking mom, I said, Mom, I said, I, I, I wish my eyes were green like yours. You know what my mom says to a four-year-old? Why? She said, I don't know. I don't know why. I've looked back at this. I don't know why she said this. I'm glad she did. She said, well, why don't you pray? Why don't you pray and ask God to change your eyes? <laughs> okay. So I did. It's a four-year-old. Lord, please, I want green eyes. Can I please have green eyes? I want green eyes like mom, okay? I kid you not, like two days later, my mom looks at me and says, your eyes are green. (laughs) (laughs) They are, (laughs) okay? He changed my eye color, all right? So at four years old, I'm like, this prayer thing is good, okay? (laughs) All right? Uh, It's the first prayer request I can ever remember God answering to me. Now, why did he do that? I don't know. There's a story about Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael was a girl who was born with brown eyes. She wanted blue eyes. She wanted my blue eyes, okay? She wanted blue eyes. And she would pray and ask God, God, give me blue eyes. I read the story years later. And God said no. She got stuck with those brown eyes. I'm sorry if you have brown eyes. You know, that's not any condescension towards you. You know, you, know, you can't help the ugly eye color. I mean, you can't help the eye color. I'm teasing. But she just says, I don't like brown eyes. I want blue eyes. You know, years later, when she was a missionary in India, she recognized these kids are not as intimidated by me because I look like them. My eyes are like theirs. And she thanked God that he said no. Why did God, as a four-year-old, give me my request? Would I, I don't know why. And to Amy Carmichael, he said no. Well, we know why he did for her. Mysterious reasons. We don't know. Sometimes even why God answers prayer, we don't fully know. He didn't have to do that, but he did. So the point is this, is that I just want to draw back to our first point. Can't you see that how if we understand prayer as a conversation with a loving Father helps us with every one of these things? Okay, can't you see that? So, okay, conflict with another prayer, okay? Can't you see that when a loving Father gives a gift to one child but not another, it's because He knows what's best for both children? You see, that, that's why when we say, okay, well, they got it, I didn't, okay? Yeah, they got, the, they got the, the job promotion, I didn't get it. Well, my loving Father said that it was better for them to do it than for me to get it, and so I can trust Him. Don't you see that if we understand what prayer actually is, that it helps with that? Or what about the second thing, this idea of it's just not the right time? A loving Father knows that it is not good to give the keys to a car to an 11-year-old. He knows that an 11-year-old is not yet ready to take the responsibility of the family car. And so he says no to that. It's not because he loves the child any less. In fact, he loves the child so much that he says, I don't want anything bad happening to you, so no, you can't drive the car yet. I remember begging my mom at 13, Mom, I know I can drive the car. I know I can do it. She did not tell me to pray about that one, okay? But she just said no. She said no, you're not going to drive the car, right? Because I wasn't ready for it. I thought I was, but I wasn't ready. A loving parent knows. Don't you see that if we understand what prayer is, a loving conversation with a loving father, then when we get the no, it's okay. 
And we're God's in charge. Don't we want a loving Father to make the final decisions? Since the confess, don't we want a loving Father to use any means necessary for our spiritual growth? What about those mysterious reasons? Can't we trust a loving Father that He truly does know what is best? And so here, as we're looking at prayer, and I just want us to, as a church to say, this is a conversation with a loving Father. When we get the no's and all the reasons for the no's, it actually liberates us. And say, okay, I'm going to trust you, my loving Father. But if we see prayer as the 911 call, how come you didn't call? How come you didn't come? You, I pay taxes so you show up when emergencies come. And if you didn't show up, how come you didn't come? Or a suggestion box, well, I guess he didn't want to listen. Or however else we talk through what prayer could possibly be in some people's minds. Only when we see that it's a loving conversation with a loving Father are we free to accept anything God gives us. So those are the first two reasons. I have one more why prayer does indeed matter. It's because of what prayer is. It's also because of it liberates all of the unanswered times. But also, and this is probably the most important, prayer matters because Jesus seems to think so. Jesus seems to think that prayer matters. You see, two points under this. Uh, we have, I'm just going to put them both up here now. Um, we have uh, Jesus prayed and Jesus prays. Okay, Jesus prayed. First of all, multiple times in the Bible, in the New Testament, do we find Jesus praying to the Father? John chapter 17, if you're taking notes, write that one down. John chapter 17, I mentioned it earlier. It's a beautiful prayer. Jesus is praying for many things. And one of the things he prays for in that is he prays to his disciples that they would have unity. And he says, I'm not only praying for the ones here, but all the ones that come after. So Jesus in John chapter 17, when you read John chapter 17, I want you to look at that. And then and it was in that moment when he was praying, he was praying for the disciples that would all come after. And if you're a disciple of Christ, he was praying for you then. Isn't that cool? Okay? He was praying for you back in John chapter 17. And he says, I want them to have unity. Can I just point out no, point out, uh, a note right here, just, just point this out, that that prayer is not fully answered yet? Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 is not fully answered yet. Do we have perfect unity? No. And so does that mean prayer doesn't work? No. It just means that God has taken his time and he's unfolding his plan. That's what it means. If anyone's going to have a prayer answer, it's going to be Jesus, right? Okay? All right? So, so prayer for unity. All right? This is what he's praying for. He, he prayed for this. I, I could spend a lot more time talking about some of Jesus' prayers, but I'm going to move on to, to, to um, well, look at uh, where Mark 14. I told you I'd eventually get back here. In Mark 14, here he is. Jesus is praying in the, the garden here. And he says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch the disciples. And then he says in verse 36, this is the verse I want us to center on, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. I mean, look at how he dresses them. I mean, he's a loving father. He says, you can do all things. Remove this from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. If we, I mean, there, are, there is no better example of how to pray than right here of Jesus, of just showing us of how he interacted with the Father. You know the beautiful thing about Jesus, though, is that, as you see on the screen, it's not just that he prayed when he was on earth. He prays, present tense, right now. First John 2 says, My little children, I'm writing to you. Uh, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
We have an advocate. Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7, consequently, He, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Always lives to make intercession. He's having this conversation. He's praying for, what, for each other. He's praying for us even to this day. Now think about this. 2,000 years He's been praying for us. You think you've been praying a long time for something? 30 years, 40 years? You know, um, there's a prayer request my family's had for, um, you know, well, most of my wife's life, you know, been praying for and, and, and other things. I remember praying for years and stuff, and we continue to pray. Some of you are praying for a long time uh, about something. Uh, just out of curiosity, how many of you are praying for something that you've been praying for at least five years? Can you raise your hand? Okay. What about 10 years? Okay. 15? Okay. 20? Yeah. 25. Okay, we'll stop there. Some of you, and I probably could have kept going, 25 years or plus praying for something. When you start to think, does it really matter? I want you to go back to Jesus. He's been praying for 2,000 years. Okay? And say, okay, it matters. If Jesus didn't give up on it, I'm not giving up. Now, again, it, it all matters about what we think prayer is. It's this conversation with a loving Father. That's what's going on here. Okay? All right. So we follow Jesus' example of prayer here. Look at the example in Mark 14 is recognize, first of all, God for who He is. He's a Father who can do all things. That's how He addresses Him. He says, God, you can do all things. That's how we address God. That's why He's a loving Father. That's why we pray to Him is because He can do all things. So we address Him that way. We make our heart's desire known. He says, remove this cup from me. The cup there is talking about the wrath being poured out upon him. Um, that was in his heart's desire was to escape that if possible. But then he deferred to God's wisdom and accepted the result, known, knowing that God is all wise and all good. This is a great example of how to pray. So why do we pray? Because Jesus did and he still does. It's because of the conversation with the loving Father. Because of all people, Jesus understands how wise and loving the Father truly is. And so prayer does matter. Now, I'm glad that God said no. And Jesus was willing to do this. This is that mysterious union when Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. It's, it's, in His humanity, He says, I don't want to go through this and bear the wrath. But in His deity, He says, this is exactly what has to happen here. It's a mysterious union here that we believe about Jesus Christ. Theologians refer to this as the hypostatic union. And I'm glad that in his humanity when he was being honest with that because he shows us that he was, he was truly humble and, and it shows that he was truly human and that there were things in this life that we just don't like going through and it's okay to ask God to remove them. That gives me permission to say, God, I don't like what I'm going through right now. Please take it from me. But his prayer also tells me that I defer to God's wisdom and accept whatever he brings. We have the table in front of us here and I am glad that... God told Jesus, you got to go through this, and that Jesus obeyed. The table here is a reminder of that. It's a reminder of what Jesus sacrificed on the cross. This is really an answer to prayer in many ways right here. It's a prayer for what we need, but it's also a prayer that Jesus prayed. He says, you know, take this cup from me. If God would have said, okay, you don't have to do this, we don't have the table today. There's nothing for us to celebrate. But we do have something to celebrate because God in his wisdom, he told Jesus no. 
And Jesus accepted that in his humanity. And he said, okay, I'm going to obey perfectly to the end. And he does. And now we have something to celebrate here. So even an unanswered prayer can have tremendous power in our lives. So my goal today is to point out that just come back to what prayer is. It's a conversation with a loving Father and just accept what He has. I know that this sermon hasn't answered every question and resolved every tension. I get that. Prayer is a means by which God, a sovereign God accomplishes His will. I, I, there's tension there. I get it. But I hope that just understanding what prayer actually is and seeing Jesus' example has been encouraging to us.